Great fellow, thanks. Good to see you. Good morning, Chief. Now, I started singing here first when I was 15 years of age. That's going back to what, 1940. 40. So I've been here, so, well, on and off then, some other churches. Then back here again in 1955 with Jean Byrne. She was the organist then, a friend of mine. So when I was here for a while, standing up on his son, and Jean Byrne turned around to his son, he said, would you ever stand out in front of that bunch that they were seeking account for? for them, you know? Which is what it, about as much as I could do. So that's why I'm here since every other Sunday. Never let up, except when I was, well, it was gee, I think it was on holidays once. And if I ever went away for the weekend, I'd be looking at me watching him. I wonder what are they doing now? <laughs> so that's the size of it. So I'm here since. Well, here in the restored Augustinian, we have doubled the size of the choir gallery, reflecting the centrality of music in the liturgical life of the Augustinian church here in Galway. It is renowned far and wide, outside the city even, for its choir, which is the director is Sonny and the organist is Pat Lillis. It is very integral to the whole worship in the Augustinian. I suppose it's appropriate that we should be following the convictions of St. Augustine, who himself put it very succinctly when he said that he who sings prays twice. And that's the whole ethos of the Augustinian here over the last 60, 70 years. In fact, Sonny has been with us now probably almost 70 years. <laughs> and uh, the uh, crowds who come to this church come primarily to worship with the choir and to be led by the choir in that worship. is to interpret the words and get as much out of the words as you possibly can by making sense out of them phrasing and putting your whole heart into it as if nothing else mattered so you give it your your whole your mind and your heart and your soul you know now what you have to do with that is be sure and breathe before you start and then, if possible, to measure it out. Not to belt it out unless you have to. I think I was telling you that before, that it's like, um, what I always think about is, if you're jumping into water to swim, the first thing you do is, and then you go and you hold that breath, you see, until you have to come up. And then you kind of come up over the water and but that's what it's nearly about is to think every time of getting enough of uh, breathing power there to let you continue the phrase as far as you can
the first kind of um, big solo, I think, in my terms, in the Pro Cathedral when I was when I was fourteen, I think it was. <clears throat> I'll never forget it because the old parish church in those days, if you call it the parish church, the balconies on both sides were packed, you know. So I had to stand up and sing this pass, and boy, was I shivering. <laughs> my brother had he caught my two knees were going, so they were knocking against one another, so I could do clamp the two of them together. And he was beating out the time at the back of my leg, you know, back in my, just in, back here, you know. I never forget that. In those days, you know, when big masses were coming up, we used to have a practice every evening at half six, go down and sing the benediction at half seven, and back then with the senior choir at eight o'clock. That was rough going at the time. But you got in on it, you know, and there was a there was a fear of getting flaked in school about it, obviously. So you went along with it. No, that was it. But you get in on it then. It wasn't everyone that follow up on it, you know. But in in, in later life, the fellowship was here that, you know, wouldn't be bothered. They go back to it and say, oh, do you remember this? Do you remember that? That's, you know, it follows them through. It's a great, <coughs> it's a great yardstick for, for human life or what it can do for you. It'll, it'll make you, you know, think better, I think, or feel better. And uh, see, see that there's a bit more in life than... Uh, than we think, you know. I think. The monastery has been here since 1642, the Poor Clare Monastery here in Galway. And um, it has always been very much part of the heritage of, of the city, not only as historically, but also um, as a kind of a, a sign to people of, um, you know, of prayer and a reminder that prayer is important in our lives. And that being so, that we're kind of identified as a, as a place of prayer. So many people would come um, for prayers and asking. We have one extern sister, Sister Joseph, and many people would come to her asking for prayers. And she would relay the messages on to us. So we take all of those intentions into our prayer in, in the, in the um, choir. Incidentally, the choir is, is uh, the chapel. We call it the choir. It's where we pray the divine office so we take all of those intentions into our prayer and um and our singing of course you see say when i was small in the 19 1940s there was there was no singing at mass except on a sunday mass the mass would be sung in latin and there might be a latin motet sung by a choir during the offertory the offertory was very long at that time but apart from that You'd very, very seldom have English hymns at Mass, maybe during the children's First Communion Mass. And um, the others then, you had all kinds of benedictions, holy hours, novenas, devotions of all kinds. That's where the hymns were. 
So one sister here said that the hymn started uh, at a time when they had no priests. We're going back to early years in Ireland. We'll say after um, when the church was persecuted, when the penal laws, we didn't, you couldn't have mass. The priests started up confraternities, sodalities. In these places, you would get a lot of these older hymns. This is how the faith was kept alive for these people. Where I came from at Clamel, the Corpus Christi procession was a big thing. All the shops closed for the afternoon. The whole town turned out. Everybody, be, most people walked in the procession and those who couldn't stood at the side. And we had an army band, we had a boys' club band, we had all the first communicants, the children of Mary. Everybody marched in the procession. Um, we walked ahead with the Blessed Sacrament anyway, the, all the first communicants in fours across the road and... We had long white dresses and we, we had a basket of flower petals each and we said this prayer, O Sacrament Most Holy, O Sacrament Divine, and then all praise and all thanksgiving. You kissed the petal at that stage and you, you t- turned around and threw it on the ground in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And we kept up this the whole time until the end of the procession when we had benediction. You know, they'd have their windows of their houses, you know, done up with altars, and even some people would have their doors open and, you know, an altar set up at the door, and they'd be standing there, and they'd have candles lit and statues out and, you know, holy pictures up. And, you know, it was lovely to feel that, you know, that Jesus was going around, you know, in the Eucharist, and he was blessing our neighbourhood and keeping it safe for us. But it was, it was, again, it was the old songs that were sung right through. We didn't have any hymn books, but we knew, Nearer my God to the O Sacrament, Most Holy, Sweet Sacrament, Divine. We knew all these off by heart. And I just wonder nowadays, would it be the same with younger people? Would they? I don't think they probably would know them off by heart, you know. ecumenical service last week and the theme of it was memory and there was the whole service was beautiful and the, the preaching was beautiful but just um, I was just thinking of the effect that music had and after the homily uh, um, a hymn was played and I found myself in tears with it because it just everything that had been said leading up to that was encapsulated in the song and even though I wasn't taking in the full words of the song it just it just worked on on my soul and I, I think that's the essence of the importance of music especially in a prayer atmosphere that somehow like poetry it can penetrate your soul in a very very deep way and everything that had been said before was powerful but somehow the music just brought it together and uh, it, it has a special grace that way. I was uh, playing handball in the street with a friend of mine called Bobby O'Connor and uh, my mother called me. I didn't like it because I was winning the game and uh, asked me to go to benediction for a special intention uh, without telling me what the intention was. And uh, reluctantly I went along and Bobby came with me. 
Bobby wasn't the type of guy who went to benediction services much. Uh, I went to a few because my mother used to take me along. Uh, but I, when we arrived down, he was totally puzzled. Very few young people there. It was mainly older people, you know. And I remember we were sitting in the in the church while the service was going on, and he hadn't a clue what was going on. So he was asking me what the monstrance was, and you know, what the incense about the incense. And I remember there was an old man in front of us, and uh, he turned around with a withering look and kind of put us in our place, you know, or put Bobby in his place. No, I, I actually loved the service. I loved going to the, the church because uh, for me it was like I've always been religious as far back as I can remember, but I've always been fascinated by the actual structure of, of, of chapels and especially the music in them. And I'll never forget this day because uh, I think the first hymn, I'm not sure if it was... Uh, Hail Queen of Heaven, but, uh, and I always associated that with my father, <clears throat> who was an agnostic when I was young, and, uh, but he was a sailor and he was always off at sea. And uh, I suppose I was drawn into this, the, the hymn by the fact that he was off in the hazardous ocean, kind of. Hail Queen of Heaven, the ocean star, Guide of the wanderer here below, thrown on life's surge, we claim thy care, save us from peril and from woe, Mother of Christ. Star of the sea, pray for the wanderer, pray for me. But on this particular occasion, towards the end of the service, I heard a hymn that I'd never heard before, and uh, it kind of sent shivers down my back. It was so was so sweet and maybe it was because there was a lot of old people around as well and they were all kind of singing along with cracked voices you know but before any other kind of music that I've liked in my life and I got into popular music after that as young people do uh, but this had more of an effect on me I'd say than anything else you know you forget about it later on and then it comes back to you later in life but that stayed with me, and years later, when I was writing an album called Just Another Town, I had the whole album complete, but there was one thing missing, and I had one sweet melody uh, that was going on in my head, and I sang it to the two of my kids one day, and they were, my daughter, who was very musical, she said, oh my God, she said, that's a beautiful melody. And I said, well, I was trying to write a song about a benediction service, but I couldn't get it. And she said, oh, try again or something like that. And I did. I went back to it and uh, actually wrote a song about the benediction service myself and tried to capture in the melody and the words, you know, the, the, the whole feeling that I had at that occasion. And once I got that song then, the benediction, it made the album complete.
to sing in a church, singing his praise in the Lord. That's the most vital part and thing of the Holy Show, singing his praise in. Now, I might be bad in my vices someday, understand. But like that, I did learn a lot of the hymns going to the Manus National School. And then my missus sang in the choir in the old parish, the Pro Cathedral. And needless to say, I was singing her. And it was a great thing too to get out at half, for half seven or the rosary at night. So I had them all off. But I'm coming up here now, I'd say, 25 years. My missus coming up for over 50. So like, I used to sing as much like, you know, it would be nice here, but as I say, singing as praising. And they're just coming natural to me now, like, you know, but the hymns, that's where I just... I had sickness there about four years ago, I had cancer, you know, and I'm one of the lucky ones. And it is part of thanking God as well. You know, I meet a lot of people out town. I was missing for the last five weeks. I was in America because I, my son brought me over for our 50th anniversary. And I, we missed here, you know what I'm saying? And I've met people in the town that come back way with up with me, she's singing, and they won't join in, you know what I'm saying? No, I don't pretend I'm in bystanders and all of that. Do you understand? So that's the scene. Paddy Corn is my name. My first um, reconnection with a hymn uh, came when um, a family member asked me to sing at a funeral, very close family, um, and uh, I desperately wanted to do anything to uh, help them because it, they were uh, grief-stricken. And uh, they asked me, would I sing Nearer My God to Thee? And, of course, uh, me being the good... Uh, atheist that I was uh, had forgotten all of that and uh, went rushing back to uh, find out the the words and the music again so anyway um, with some traditional musicians we went to the little church and um, a sad occasion uh, I sang the song at the end of the mass and as I sang it the children of the mother um, cried and wailed almost uh, at the front of the church and afterwards I realised that thinking about the words that the song uh, had a very definite kind of feel to it uh, the words and the meaning of the song Nearer my God to thee Nearer to thee, e'en though it be a cross that raiseth me, still all my song shall be nearer my God to Nearer, my God, to Thee. Nearer to Thee. Though like the wonder. And um, subsequently, I have been asked to sing it um, um, at two funerals in the last um, three months. And I have found it to be even a greater spiritual experience for me than I could ever have imagined. And I have, I now am very clear that uh, watching the reaction and sensing the reaction of, you know, the people in the church 
the families that uh, th- there is something about near my God to thee uh, in when the coffin is leaving the church in terms of the whole spiritual dimension. I do honestly believe that there's some comforting notion in that song that um, the spirit of the person that, ha- that has died is moving away to God, to heaven, to another place and that it is a kind of a comforting song uh, moving forward into the arms of something somewhere else and that it's also comforting for uh, the family and the people that are grieving. Sweet shall my weeping be Grief surely leading me Nearer my God to thee Nearer to thee Here in the Collegiate Church of St Nicholas in the heart of Galway we meet regularly on Sundays for our main Eucharistic service. In this service the hymn singing is a very central part and a greatly loved part of our worship. In order to understand a considerable amount of the Protestant tradition, you need to have a grasp of why the hymns are so essential. It probably goes back to the Reformation itself, when the Word, i.e. the the Bible and the explanation of the Bible, became central to the worship. And not, not, it's a little simple, but if you could imagine a little bit that the, the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, tended to come into a sort of um, a once-a-month slot, whereas every Sunday it was to listen to the Word and then gradually to sing to the Word. So the, the hymns, they, they really expanded upon the Bible stories or the Bible teachings. And because singing is so indeed elemental and so a part almost of the, 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 the whole makeup of the human being, you can understand why they became such an affection for the Church of Ireland people. In other words, just if you wanted to say in the takeoff of, say, Father Ted, that you can't have a liturgy without the Mass, so the Church of Ireland, or rather the Protestants, could say, you can't have a liturgy without singing a hymn. Doesn't seem to feel quite right. And it's that tradition, indeed, which is continued today. As, as a rector, it's, it's, it's an impossible situation to choose the hymns, really, because people have their profound favourites, the ones that they have grown up on and they have loved. And I, I, I love this one, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, Zion, City of Our God. And it's written by John Newton, and it's based on the Psalms. And John Newton was a slave owner who used to be transporting slaves across the Atlantic. And then you probably know him from the words of Amazing Grace. And then he had a conversion experience and changed his, his, his whole way of, of, of looking at life. And out of that he became a great writer of hymns, as if to express this sense of the grace of God and the sense of, of, of having had a, a vision and a light to a new way of, of living. Glorious things of the Zion City of our God, 
Jesus is Saviour, since of Zion City I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. And then fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion children know. And I think this is absolutely marvellous sort of stuff. And it's put to the tune of Austria by Haydn. And that gives it that terrific sense of great dignified and stirring music at the same time. And that collision of those words and the music and those sentiments, I think are just fantastic. I still think it has something to say today. And when we sing about God's grace and change and, and new ways and new beginnings and conversions and sing it in that particular form to Haydn, then I think we do have something where a sermon is really quite unnecessary. singing is everything to do with my spiritual life. I mean, mine, I always would say, would be a mission of praising and pray, sing. That the most powerful moments of prayer for me are when I'm either listening or singing. All my prayer experience has been oral through the ear. At just 135 days after impregnation, hearing is nearly fully developed. And those three little bones in the ear, the incus, the malleus and stapes, are completely developed by the time we're born. So it's the very first um, sense, really, that we're born really very, very inadequate and very um, unformed human beings. But indeed, our hearing is way ahead, you know, and that it's, we're all an ear, actually, our bodies an ear, really. on a broader level too in that when you're dealing with hymns of any sort um, not to talk of the very popular ones like and for me I think the most powerful ones would have been from certainly from my childhood would have been the ones to Patrick 
I mean, I'm back there in school. There is a little 15 year old on St. Patrick's Day dying to get home. I went to a boarding school and we used to always get home on that day or get to Dublin or wherever. Or, um, Hail Gloria, St. Patrick. And if you've ever been to Loch Darg, my God, to see the power of that still in people's psyche that haven't been up all night and so on, that you can still manage to get the all courage there for that. But I suppose you're probably dealing too with something which is all sound too. And it's the power of sound too. And how a sound can bring you back to a memory, to a space in yourself, which is above and beyond the here and now, the H-E-A-R and now, and taking you back to um, the aural, which, of course, has certainly been neglected in theology and that we're very visually um, educated when it comes to praying. But really, when it comes to the ear, we haven't actually explored that. And that's really what your programme is about, is exploring the power of sound to bring you into the presence of the divine. And that's certainly these hymns have, as indeed does plain chant. Plain chant per se is just, I think, probably the highest form of that, um, that power of sound. Because, of course, plain chant, like the traditional religious songs, too, are unaccompanied. Uh, plain chant, of course, would have been very much part of the monastic tradition. And so even still here, particularly with St. Glenstall, um, you have it sung, what, five times a day for definitely very strongly. But I think it was a big, big mistake of Vatican II, of course, that it really threw out the chant um, by, of course, going back to the vernacular. It meant that the chant, like the Latin mass, uh, was buried under the whole dogma of Vatican II, which I think was a real tragedy. But now it's keep coming back. I think it's going to be part of that phoenix rising out of the ashes, which is happening in the church now. It's an integral part, actually, because uh, I find myself now teaching it all over the world, that you go into a group of people, as I did, what I'm just doing that about two years now. I remember the first time going into a group of 25 people, retreat centre in Canada, Hollyhock, and starting. And you could see people bristling. I say, now, what's the story here? And say, we don't want any of that now. That's all church stuff. We terrible bad memories. Of that. I said, give me three days. Give me three days. You know, and got a, a letter just there recently, actually, from one of these one people who attended. And she said, I, one of these days, she said, I'm going to be taken in in Victoria. Candice, she lives in Victoria for going up and down the street, singing Kyrie eleisons and Alleluia's since the workshop. And this woman was a total atheist, actually, when she came in. Um, but again, it's, it's got nothing to do with Roman Catholic or whatever. It's the sound. It's like that wonderful Zen saying that says, to understand God is to listen. Listen to Jesus, Muhammad and Buddha, but don't get caught up in the names. Listen beyond the names. Listen to the breath of God. And in those hymns and in plain chant, you are listening to the breath of God. It's the pure breath of God. The feather on the breath of God, as Hildegard would call herself.
is a way of proclaiming a better world, of refusing to give in to the grimness of the past. Nil desperandum. Singing breaks out in the prison yard on the chain gang from the black hole, the oubliette. Out of the depths we cry to you, O Lord. One particularly monstrous black hole has been humming B-flat for billions of years, astronomers tell us. A sound has gone forth through all the earth. We join it with our voices. Singing initiates a welcoming swell towards creation's new direction, a ripple from the edge. Such a possibility opens for us from every situation of whatever kind. As a ship with sails gives itself to the wind and to the current of the waves, we give ourselves to the sound and to the singing. Blessed are those who bring tell that story when I started off teaching as a young teacher. Um, I was at a wonderful convent in Dungarvan in County um, Waterford and Mercy Convent there. And I just come out at the age of 21 as a very enthusiastic teacher and fired by all sorts of singing experiences from the classical to the channels. Beatles were popular at the time, rock, um, medieval stuff, shannos, as I said, um, Gregorian chant. Chant. And so I said to the to the to the principal, she was a wonderful woman. Listen, can I just listen to all the 300 girls? And I spent days doing it, sing a little three blind mice or whatever. And uh, so she, and then I picked out 29 who were exceptionally talented. And we had a lovely year together because we were much the same. They were like my little young sisters. And I was like there. They used to be admiring my clothes and I'd come in and so on. And they were very good. We did work in RTE and we used to do masses and all that. Um, and then I was leaving after that. And so I ran a little survey then with 29 of them. And I said, listen, what did she like most over the year? And cred, no, no, cred, they, believe it or not, they said what we loved was plain chant. And I said, well, come on, this is weird. Like, this is all church stuff. And it's hard enough to get you into the chapel to say your prayers. And they said, no, no, we felt better after it. So I think it's music is going to be terribly important. These hymns are going to be terribly important in our way forward. Um, I think we've got to listen very carefully to what we sing, what we expose our young people to if we want them to come back to the church.
Sky Voice Singers. Um, Mark Keane is the director of our choir and he's playing the organ. Um, we like to sing hymns because we're singing about God and how much we love God and how much thankfully that we are that he made us and that. So just thanks for having us on the radio. Well, I like singing hymns because I like the energy from the organ. It's, it's like there's a load of energy going through you when you hear the organ. It's class. And it's, they're nice songs, like, they're not useless music. When I first found out that we were singing Latin in it, I, I thought that was great because um, I was reading a few books and there was Latin in them and I, and I thought it was a really great language because my mum used to learn it and I, I always wanted to know what it was like and it's great being able to sing it because I never thought there'd, there'd be anything that sings that sort of stuff anymore, but there is. And the best thing about a place like this in this big church is the voice echoes around the place so it sounds a lot louder from not just one place but like it echoes all around the place. So if you were sitting all the way down the back like you'd hear it whereas if you're only in a little area you wouldn't. It's always got class designs and the windows and things. Cool. Well, if you're singing well, you know, if you can get your choir in good form, you know, and they are, and get them to, to work on and try and interpret that piece as best they can, the congregation will react to that in their own way. You'll get the, the vibes will come up to you, see, from downstairs, and you know then, you know, that, that you're getting to them, you know, that's the name of the game. But you get them to move with you, kind of say, you, you, sometimes you shout to them, come on, will you, come on. I'm a devil for that, you know, but the where I'm in the church otherwise. Again, it's the heart again, you know, get into it with with a bit of love at all stages. You know. Not too much screeching if you can avoid it. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to avoid that. But um you will you'll get it back from the, the from the congregation, all right, you know. Oh. 